Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places close to our home. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. All aboard! We're hopping on a train to go to Florence, Italy. Choo-choo! <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We're continuing our adventures through Italy Last we met, we took you to Rome on a couple of episodes, and we also visited Vatican City. Today, we're going on a day trip to Florence. Florence, Italy, or Firenze in Italian, is home to museums, palaces, and churches, which hold some of the greatest artistic treasures in the world. Just walking around the city could leave you with a sore neck, as you're going to find yourself looking up at just absolutely incredible architecture. Now, this city was once upon a time the capital of Italy, and that happened for five short years between 1865 and 1870, and that's when Rome became the country's capital. One heads up on this episode is we're probably going to tell you as much about things that we did not do as things we did do. This was a trip that gave us some learning moments, which we're going to share with you, so if you plan to visit Firenze, Italy you may have a better experience or a different, a more fulfilled experience than it turns out we did. Than we did, yeah. Firenze, being about 90 minutes away from Rome on a high-speed train, was one of the reasons we decided to make it a one-day trip because we knew we could get there quickly on this train system and then come back on the same high-speed train to get back to Rome and the lodging that we had there. We scoped it out, looked at it. Well, you did mainly, the, the train system and, and how that all works a couple of days before when we were still in Rome. And we planned to take the high-speed train leaving very early in the morning, about 6.30, from Rome to Florence. We didn't need any advance tickets. We just showed up at the Termini station and we left very early in the morning and we had a return time ticket for our way back to Rome. So we knew we had to be at the train station leaving Florence at a particular time. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So I guess if we knew at the time what we were going to experience, it may have been more advantageous to have like an open-ended, you know, one way to get there, one way to get back. I think we were concerned about knowing that this was a day trip for us, mm -hmm. that I guess Murphy's Law would be if we didn't have the return time guaranteed, we'd show up at the train station to find out that we couldn't get back to Rome and then we'd be kind of messed stuck. up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'd get stuck. So we did do that and we boarded the train and voila, hour and a half later, we were in Florence and that's when we started our, our journey yeah. in Florence. Now, why did it only take an hour and a half? Because it was a high-speed train. It was a super high-speed train. It was so train. fast. What did it say, like 249 kilometers an hour or yes, something? Yes, yeah. 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 It, was, it was crazy fast. So keep your seatbelts on. Yeah. yeah. 
Right at the train station, pretty close, we got off, and the first thing that we saw was the Basilica Santa Maria Novello. Since that was the first thing that we saw, we figured, oh, let's go check out this church. And we noticed quite quickly that there was a fee for entrance to get into this church. So we only saw the outside of it because we decided not to pay the fee. And I believe what we did was was kind of like, Let's go see some other stuff, and when we come back, if we have enough time, we'll we'll go ahead and we'll see this church. It was only seven and a half euro. Yeah, I think so we wasn't a lot in the days preceding. I mean, we had quite a good fill of so many churches in Rome that I think you know, walking up to the door and finding out we're going to have to pay whatever the fee was the day that we were there, we were like, well, we can just go on and do something else because we've seen. And even though we love <clears throat> to visit churches, yes. we'd seen plenty already. Yeah. Yeah. And and we had an idea of certain places that we wanted to visit. And as we head into this podcast a little bit more, you'll find out certain things that happened along the way. Yeah. We so, thought we had a full day ahead of us yes, we did. to do other things. Yes. The Basilica's website says you don't need to buy tickets in advance. So if you are interested, you can just show up and get a ticket and go ahead and get into that Basilica that's right at the train station. So this particular basilica and its complex also merges in with a museum. So I'm assuming that the seven and a half euro cover this museum fee. So that's the reason that you would have a fee for this particular basilica, because most of the ones that we had run into in Rome were no fees involved at all. So we just kind of walked in and sometimes there was lines, but you Mm -hmm. could walk in. Yeah. Or there might have been an optional donation at some of them, right? So off we went, walking some more to the next thing on our list, which was the Cathedral in Florence, also known as the Duomo. Mm -hmm. And I've seen cathedrals before. You and I have seen cathedrals before. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what to expect when we were walking up to this one. So this cathedral has a magnificent Renaissance dome that it's known for. It's named in honor of Santa Maria dei Fiore. The cathedral is so massive, it took 140 years for it to be deemed finished. And I just remember walking up, and I still think to this day... This is the biggest building I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it was massive. It was, I mean, I just stood there gawking at it. And it is one of those where you think back to when it was built and how on earth did they build something. It was big from front to back, from side to side, from the bottom to the top, just enormous. And it was so big that like if we wanted to take a photo of it, You couldn't fit it into your lens. And I didn't have like a super wide lens, but I mean, you would probably almost have to have a fisheye lens, I think, to get this thing completely in your camera. And it was hard to get enough space to try to even fit it in as far as if you wanted to get further away from the church to try to fit it into your lens, because it was surrounded by other buildings in the city. So it it was pretty much smack dab, and it felt like, you know, in the middle of Florence, surrounded by tons of businesses, and it did have a little piazza in the front. Yeah, so this is probably one of the few postcards that we bought because we couldn't get the whole thing. We couldn't do it justice in the photos that we took. I just saw that the other day. I was going through stuff, and I found it, yeah. You have to show me. So the outside of this cathedral has this very unique decor. It's a mix of pink, white, and green marble. You're going to notice the dome on top. Again, that's what they call the Duomo. It's the largest brick and mortar dome in the world. 
It's comprised of more than 4 million bricks, and it stands over 10 stories high. Now, when we got there, we first spent time just gawking at the outside because it was magnificent, just spectacular to see. And we were going to go inside, and I kept thinking to myself, man, if it looks like this on the outside, and I was thinking about some of the churches we saw in Rome, I can't believe what this thing is going to look like on the inside. So I was so excited to go in. The facade of this building was so elaborate. It had frescoes. It had sculptures in it. It had niches that had these beautiful pieces of art in Mm -hmm. it. It was just amazing. Yeah. So we got in the line, you know, getting excited to get inside. And we finally make our way through the doors that let us in. And we're inside. And I look around and I'm seeing a pretty stark, though mammoth, interior of a cathedral. It was more plain. Yeah. The nave was pretty plain. It had the marble flooring that was pretty, but it seemed dark and the walls and the windows and and it didn't seem like it had that wow factor when we've entered other cathedrals and basilicas. Yeah. So inside there are some mosaic pavements that are probably among some of the main attractions inside, but you know, the eye candy for this particular church is more so on the much more so on the outside than the inside. Yeah, except at the altar here. Mm-hmm. And because yeah. the altar is beneath the Duomo, and the Duomo has frescoes that are painted, they're absolutely gorgeous. That's yeah. to me, that's the eye candy. That was the most beautiful part was that Duomo on the inside. Yeah. So, and there are some paintings inside, there's stained glass inside. Mm-hmm. Above the entrance on the inside of the church, there's a clock that was designed in 1443 that still works to this mm-hmm. day. And the way that this clock was made, it tells time in what's called the Ora Italica. So, on that clock, the 24th hour of the day is when the day ends at sunset. So it tells time a little bit differently, but it still works. You mentioned, Julie, the Duomo. So if somebody wants to go up to the Duomo, there's an extra ticket you can buy to get mm-hmm. yourself up there. Mm-hmm. There's also crypts on the bottom level. That also requires another ticket. Entrance for the cathedral inside, what you and I did, is free. Right. Though you do have to buy some extra tickets if you want to do some of the additional things that are available, including the baptistry, and there's a museum connected as well. Mm -hmm. So you can make this into a shorter type of of visit, or you can do some of these add-ons and um, I guess get a little more of the experience. And again, because we thought we were going to do so many things while we were in Florence, we we did this one on the shorter end. Doing what we did, our recommendation would be Take the splurge and take the time to experience as much of the cathedral as you can. I think, I wish we would have gone up to the top Mm -hmm. of the Duomo Mm -hmm. and probably even gone down to the crypts. So maybe on another day. And when you're inside, you can take advantage of an audio tour with headset, which will fill you in on lots of the details, the legends, and the curiosities that are within this cathedral. Another church that we visited was the Santa Ambrosia or St. Ambrose. And this is something that is very much off the beaten path uh, for tourists. But I had received a book from our neighbor and friends, Eileen and Jim, and they had said, try, you know, some of these other places that have Eucharistic miracles attached to them. And that fascinated me beyond no end. Uh, We were still in Rome before we went to Florence. 
I was looking through this book and reading, and I found that there was a Eucharistic miracle in Florence at St. Ambrose Church. It was in the heart of the city. It was super walkable. And, and this was one of those things that I don't think we planned in advance. You had the book with you, and you were reading yeah. it during our travel, and well, we I just... Was, we were sitting in the hotel in Rome. You noticed that this church was in Florence, so we'll just pop in there, yeah, since so we're going to be in it. Florence. And we had no idea what the walk would be like, or we just kind of took off and you know tried to go find it. And so it was really, really fascinating for me, because it was a very small church. It looked like a parish for you know a certain section of Florence in that area, um, but it was beautiful. The legend says that on December 30th, 1230, the parish priest celebrated Mass and forgot to clean out the chalice used during the, the Mass. The following day, the chalice was dirty, but not with wine. It had blood in it. The blood was said to be the fruit of divine incarnation and was placed in a crystal ampule. And this Eucharistic miracle transformed the church into a place of pilgrimage in that city. These things happen quite often throughout Catholic history. There's many, many of these type of Eucharistic miracles. And this was the first one that I've ever got a chance to visit. So I thought that was really cool. This sealed container that contained the, the liquid or the blood is still there in the church within the chapel dedicated to it, the Chapel of the Miracle of the Sacrament, to the left of the main altar. And the chapel contains a marble tabernacle by Migno de Fiesole, and frescoes by Cassimo Rosselli, which depict the events that surround the miracle. And we have pictures of that, too. Yeah. But this church offered not one story of a Eucharistic miracle, yeah. but two. Two. In 1595, there was a second miracle at St. Ambrosia. On Holy Friday, a fire broke out in the side chapel next to the main altar, the fire was quickly contained, but in all the frantic happenings of that moment, pieces of the blessed host fell onto the ground. After the fire, the fragments of the broken host showed no signs of them having been burned, despite being in the area of the fire. After many years, the pieces were again examined and determined to be another Eucharistic miracle. They are also conserved in the church as a reliquary. So as I said before, this was a small church, and there was something about it that was, it was just beautiful. I, I remember it very well, and I remember these stories that were told by these depictions, especially the paintings that were on that. It was almost like an ambo. It looked like an ambo, and I just saw pictures of it, so it kind of yeah. brought back all the memories. Now, when we were there, though, I don't think you were able to spend as much time inside as you wanted no. to. because we got there, and there was a gentleman that was in charge of, you know, the, locking up the church. And we were there for a little bit, and then he made it very clear in Italian <laughs> to get out. <laughs> so. It was very understandable, even though we don't speak Italian. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that's a couple of churches that we did see in Florence, and... There were lots of other churches available to visit that we had on our radar, but we didn't see quite a number of the other ones because during our visit, for whatever reason, a number of them were either closed or mm -hmm. just were, were, were shuttered. Shuttered, yeah. yeah. It was really odd. We had a couple of churches under our belt, so now it was time to get to what I thought was going to be part of the main event of our time in Florence. We had on our itinerary the Afuzi Gallery, 
and the Gallery Academia. So these visits were on our plans, and this is perhaps the big mistake we made during our trip to Florence because we thought, or I thought, because I was the one who did the planning of the itinerary, thought I was going to be able to get our tickets upon arrival, but that was not to be. That was a big lesson for us in all our other travels too. Well, I always try to, you know, go online, read reviews on TripAdvisor from the websites to try to get a sense, when do we need tickets before we leave home versus what are the types of attractions that you could just do in the moment. Mm -hmm. So this experience we had in Italy has shaped how we go about planning since we've traveled after this trip. Mm -hmm. We probably still have had a thing here or there that didn't quite go as planned, but this was probably like the biggest. Yeah, this was one of the biggest ones because it was our first huge international trip. We we had been to Ireland and that was a... All of a sudden, you know, hey, do you want to go to Ireland? Yes, honey, I do. I had no passport. I had no nothing. And we we're scrambling in that aspect. But we didn't stay there that long either. No. And the personal part of that trip was just a few days. So this yeah. would have been like the longest yeah. extended trip that we had done. Mm-hmm. We had lots of things for the whole trip to plan for. Again, we knew we were going to have one day in Florence, thought we were going to go to this museum where one of the attractions is the famous Statue of David. But we're walking up to one of these two museums, and I just remember the line that we saw. It was the longest line of anything we saw during our entire time in Italy. We didn't have a ticket, and it quickly became apparent that we weren't going to be able to get a ticket. Mm -hmm. So if you plan to go to Florence and visit one or both of these museums, the Afuzi Gallery and the Gallery Academia, Get your tickets in advance. I think prior to this trip, I was going through a lot of the Rick Steves shows because they were on PBS on Italy. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the way, if there was a mention of get your tickets in advance, I surely missed it. The Afuzi Gallery is one of the most famous museums in the world. It emphasizes Renaissance period art and has works by great Italian artists, including Botticelli, Giotto, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, just to name a few. In a typical year, the gallery welcomes over 1 million visitors. I'm sure over the past two years, that's probably much different story mm-hmm. because of COVID. Yeah. The Afuzi, along with the Vatican Museums in Rome, which we talked about last episode are the top two most visited museums in the entirety of Italy. So again, the top tip for Florence, based on our experience, is if you want to hit these two places, do get your tickets in advance. And given that we thought we were going to spend several hours at these museums, all of a sudden we found ourselves with, hey, we got to do something else to chew up the rest of the time that we're going to have before the departing train from Florence to Rome kicks in and at that point commenced our walking adventure Mm -hmm. so off we went one of the places that we went to and you had researched a little bit you knew a little bit about was the famous old bridge called the ponte vecchio this bridge is probably maybe arguably the most recognized icon of florence The bridge with, it has these arches that gracefully go from one end to the other. And it is topped by many shops that are visible as you're looking at the bridge. 
So it makes a fantastic photographic scene. Great place to take photos. I might be mistaken on this. I'm not sure. But you mentioned this bridge has the stores on it. When we were in Bath, England, there was a bridge there. And I remember somebody telling us that whatever the architectural style of that bridge was, it was the same type of structure as the one here in Florence that we're Mm -hmm. talking about. I remember that. And apparently was the only other bridge like the one in Florence that had stores on the bridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. The bridge has traditionally been the home for the shops of Florence from talented goldsmiths and mainly, I don't remember seeing anything but jewelry shops. There was a lot of them. And they were very fine jewelry. And they just lined the entire way, both sides of the bridge. And you walk through, it was very busy. I remember there was a lot of people on this bridge. This bridge has had shops on it since the 13th century which is absolutely amazing. So just the history of it, I mean, just walking across it, knowing that kind of history was really fun. I really enjoyed that. I had, I mean, we're, we weren't going to stop and buy anything because it was a little on the pricey side, but it was just fun to walk across. And it did open up at one point where you can see the river. There was, I think, probably in the center of it where you just kind of people were milling around and you could look down at the river. And so it was fun. I had a good time there. I mm-hmm. really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you had to kill time walking around Florence, I mean, this was a beautiful place to walk around. Yeah, and it is open all the time. And it's, like we said, one of those places that it's great as a pedestrian to just walk across. You will find there probably are times where in the busy season where it's pretty packed, but we didn't have a really hard time Mm -hmm. getting across it. During World War II, it was the only bridge across the Arno River that the fleeing Germans did not destroy Instead, they blocked access by demolishing the medieval buildings that were on each side of it. That's interesting. So we're going to come back to some more interesting things in just a minute. But after we did this, pretty much the remainder of our time in Florence was spent walking around. Just kind of... We didn't didn't know what to do. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, the, the main thing that we thought was going to eat up the afternoon, those two museums, that was out. And even walking around the city, I just remember having some difficulty getting our bearings because the city wasn't laid out in a grid style pattern. It probably was not as confusing as Venice, which we're going to talk about, Mm -hmm. I think next time. That's a whole nother animal, Mm -hmm. but this was confusing enough. So we spent most of the day just, you know, walking around, taking in the sights, taking in the ambiance and everything. We would see, I mean, this is when we were coming across, we'd come across a church and it was either closed or completely out of commission or something. So we were looking for things to do. We just didn't come across anything that was open. While we ran out of things to do, other sites that you might consider if you're going to have a trip to Florence... A few things include the Library of San Lorenzo, which has a magnificent exhibition of Michelangelo's architectural genius. If you enjoy art, you might consider a visit to the Pitti Palace. The city also has a taxidermy museum, interestingly enough. They also have a museum that's dedicated to shoes. So if you're into shoes, there's a museum in Florence just for you. Well, if you're a cobbler, you'd be very interested. Yeah. And for those who enjoy gardens, you can consider the Baboli Gardens, or you can climb the hill to the church of San Miniato al Monte to experience an enchanting view of Florence. And there are more museums, there's more sites to see. When I think back to 
our day there, though. I still think our original plan was right on the money in terms of spending only one day of our Italian itinerary for Florence. Mm -hmm. Because if we were there for another day, I don't know that there was enough there that would have grabbed me for multiple days. Mm -hmm. If you can lock yourself into one or more of the museums. Or spend some more time at the Basilica Mm -hmm. or, you know, there's other things that we didn't do. Even when we got back to the train station, which was another story, the church that had the museum in it was closed. Yeah. So So I I kind of felt for us that one day in Florence was plenty. Mm -hmm. We did have some good food, though. Now, I do have vivid memories of the bakery-type shops there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we did. We stopped and had some coffee. The coffee was very good. And there was this one pastry. We just It looked good. It just, you know, we saw it. I don't know if it was in a window. I don't know how we saw it. Yeah, we saw, saw it through the window. Yeah, yeah and uh, it looked really good. So we went in, had some coffee, and we got this, looked like a little biscuit of some sort with almonds on it and... It was really, really good. I've never tasted anything like it yeah. since. When I was a kid, my mom used to work for a short time at a European bakery in West Hollywood. And they would have, the man who owned the place was from Europe. And so he would make things that were kind of like this. So it reminded me of these things that my, my mom would sometimes bring home from the bakery. But the, mm-hmm. these are not the kind of pastries that you're going to find at your local no. Vons or Safeway store. No, by any no. Means, right? This little pastry wasn't large, but it reminded me of like a, as far as the texture and the taste of it, like a biscotti. It was good. Hmm. It was wonderful. So when you're in Italy, you've just got to try as much of the food as you can because yeah. more often than not, it's spectacular. Julie, with that, kind of rounding out the adventures or misadventures of our time in Florence, I did find probably more fun facts <laughs> related to Florence than any other city that we've talked about to date. So we're going to hit some of them. Fun facts from Florence. Well, first, Florence was the first city in Europe to pave its streets. And while Romans paved their roads in ancient times, pavements were not used anymore after the fall of the Roman Empire. That's until 1339, when Florence got money from the local banks and merchants and paved the streets of the city. Florence was the first city in Europe to pave its streets, and the trend soon extended to the rest of Europe. Now, there's a few things that were said to have been invented in Florence, and one of those is gelato. Mm, Love that stuff. This delicious frozen dessert was invented in Florence in the 16th century, and you have to have gelato probably almost every night when you're in Italy. This one I find extremely fascinating. The Stendhal syndrome first happened in Florence. What is that, you ask? Yeah, what the heck is... It's also called the Florence syndrome. It refers to the accelerated heartbeat and even fainting when someone is exposed to art masterpieces. So, hey, so it's a good thing. It's a good thing we did not get to those galleries because we might have ended up in the hospital with Stendhal syndrome. (laughs) I mean, seriously. (laughs) Ambulance. Yeah, there you go. Apparently, it was experienced by many people and the local hospital staffs in Florence that took care of these patients that had these similar conditions after seeing these beautiful artworks of Florence became well-known 
around 1817. So, And I wonder if it still exists. Now, there's a number of additional things that are said to have been invented in Florence. And among those, we have Pinocchio, who was not invented by Disney, but invented by a man in Florence in 1826. The piano was invented in Florence by Bartolomeo Cristofori, who ended up on a trip to Florence where he was offered an invention studio and somewhere around the year 1700 invented this instrument that would end up shaping a big chunk of my life. So I owe a debt to Cristofori from Firenze. I don't think he's from Firenze, but he no, spent... I don't think he, so. He invented the piano there. Yes. Yeah. Also in the musical talents of Florence was the creation of operas. Florence was considered to be the birthplace of modern opera. A local group of artists, writers, and musicians known as the Florentine Camerata set out to create Greek plays through music. Following their movement, a rival, Jacopo Corsi, created Daphne in 1598, and that was the first opera. Close to one-third of the world's art heritage is found in Florence. Now, that's an amazing concentration of art. According to UNESCO, Italy has around 60% of the most important pieces of art. And out of the 60%, half of it is in Florence. So that makes up one-third of the world's masterpiece collection, most of it representing the Italian Renaissance. So for those people... I suppose, who really are into art history, you know, the whole art scene. Florence has got to be a pilgrimage site, mm -hmm, I guess, for, for such folk. I admire art, but for I know for some people it's a thing. Yes. Florence should be on your list. And then maybe for those people, they'd want to spend more than a day. Oh, absolutely. I think they'd want to hit way more museums, and mm -hmm. I'm sure they'd get reservations. Well, we talked about how hard it was for us to navigate around Florence. And part of that reason could be because the same street can have two different names or more. For example, the Via Martelli is a famous street right next to the cathedral. Right after it crosses another street to the north, it changes names and becomes Via Camino Cavour. And down south... It becomes Via dei Casauli after it crosses another street. So if you're navigating in these areas, it's kind of like Boston, right? It's it's Yeah, so I had visited Boston once upon a time before the era of GPS and having maps on your cell phone. And my memory may be wrong, but I swear we had the, the printouts for, you know, back in the day, you would print directions out on mm -hmm. Yahoo Maps or some such thing, America Online, whatever we had back in the day. And the confusion was the same kind of thing. You'd be driving down a street, you know, not familiar with the area, and it would be called one name at one point, and then you'd pass a street light on the same street, and now it's called something else. And a few blocks later, you're on the same street and all of a sudden it has a different name. Boston was, has to date been the most confusing to navigate city I would ever been to. I suspect today it would be much easier to get around in the world where we have Waze on our phones. Mm -hmm. But pre-Waze, Boston, Florence, good luck. <laughs> good luck. So that wraps up 
our journey and our mishaps in the city of Florence, Italy. Hopefully there's a, a few takeaways that we were able to share that will benefit you if you plan a trip to Florence. Again, you know, sometimes I think we do things that people can say, hey, that sounds like a great experience. I want to do that. And sometimes we have things to share that you don't want to repeat what we did. And this is, I think, an example of one of those. As we're recording this episode, now this has nothing to do with Florence, but I'm going to throw out another, what I think is a travel tip, because we've stumbled across this before in our travels. We're recording this episode in the midst of the Winter Olympics that are happening in Beijing, China. And a number of years ago, in the year after Vancouver hosted the Winter Olympics, we had taken a trip to Whistler, where there was a number of the events hosted, and there was an Olympic village there. And we found the year after the Olympics were hosted, the ability to get lodging and experience that infrastructure that was built up was affordable, it was accessible. And so my one tip is you may want to think about when Olympics happen in a particular city, if you're not going to go there for the games, think about going to those cities the year after the Olympics are held because those cities generally invest a lot of money into lodging, into infrastructure, into the the things that build up the Olympics. And once the Olympics are gone, there's an opportunity for tourists to fill up some of those areas. So I don't know if you want to go to Beijing next year, but if Beijing is on your list and if the world travel scene is a little bit more open, you may want to do that. Again, it's just something that, that we've taken advantage of, has worked out for us, and maybe in the future we'll go to a city the year after the Olympiad is held. And that's it. Done. We still have more Italy adventures to talk about. And I think some of the best times that we experienced are in what lies ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Venice was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So be back and we'll take you to Venice. Yes, that was that was absolutely where, amazing. Where we had a much more successful visit for multiple days. Yeah. yeah. But just the city yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Besides Rome, I mean that was fantastic, Venice. Mm -hmm. So we hope you join us next time where we're going to continue to take you on our trip through Italy, hopefully share some things that will help you plan your future adventures if you're planning to visit the country of Italy. Until then, thanks for joining us in the places where we go. If you have any comments or information to share with us about travel, you can write to us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram as The Places Where We Go. You can find us on Twitter as The Places Where One, the number one. And you can watch our travel adventures on YouTube where our channel name is The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us and we hope to see you at The Places Where We Go. See you next time. Bye now.